We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 77, I Dream of Genie. My name is David Spill. I have Travis Sowers with me again this week. How are you, sir? I'm handsome, David. How are you? We haven't used that joke in a while. I know. It's like it's new because we'll have new listeners and they won't know that it's recycled. It's fresh. Okay, so we should, we, we should try that again then. So, how are you? I, I'm handsome. I am also handsome. Mm, need to work on our delivery there. Yeah, kind of uh, ruined it. Kind of just, eh, maybe just a little bit. What's going on this week? Well, uh, I've been drafting a lot of M19 on Magic Online and doing some Dominaria quick drafts on Arena. Uh, since I bit the bullet, bought some more gems, and went into quick draft, I've actually been breaking even, uh, which is kind of embarrassing because I screamed about how you couldn't do that anywhere. But apparently you can do it in quick draft if you sort of know what you're doing. Uh, there was supposed to be a streamer event tonight. Uh, unfortunately that got canceled due to some hiccups in the uh, latest patch for arena so i'm a little disappointed about that they're going to do a makeup event but it's while i'm on vacation next week uh so i unfortunately won't be able to participate in that but at the end of the day we're going to have m19 on arena we've still got it on magic online to draft and i've I've had some fun with the set so far uh so i'd i'd, I'd say it's been a good week awesome yeah we uh we've had a good week on our end here too of I fired up the stream a couple of days. It was kind of nice to do a sealed and do a, a couple of drafts. And uh, I hit up the two at a giant pre-release, which is also a lot of fun. Shout out to uh, to my LGS Shoebox Games here in Calgary. It was uh, always a good time, and this time was uh, was no different. So, did you go with your daughter again? Yeah, we did. We were the Dragon Fodder Team Dragon Fodder, and <laughs> we lived up to our name and did not do so well. But we opened well, and um, we built some cool decks, and we just ran into uh, we ran into some. Some hot M19 action, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of that myself. I didn't realize the two at a giant could be so aggro, but we faced down what was a mono red and a mono black, uh, basically life drain decks mm-hmm. it, it, on the same team. And it was uh, one drop neonate, uh, you know, one drop goblin haste giver, two drop neonate, two drop whatever some 2-2 that got haste or something like that and then it was just endless drains and the the sorcery spell that deals three and gains three mm-hmm. over and over and over <laughs> again i, I face down we faced down so many child of knights and it was it was kind of ridiculous and then finally finally when we got to stick all the things that uh that would win us the game the mono red player went uh lightning shock or sorry lightning strike your face lightning strike your face shock your face you're dead and we're like what what even happened here how did you open that pool so that was fun anyway we opened um double mythic angel and triple sword the beard sword uh, yeah and uh we tried to make that work as best we could and it did um it was just when you're on your heels against a mono red mono black combo deck and um and then when you draw you know nine or ten lands in a row or something like that it's really tough to to go off with those but 
it was pretty fun. Okay. Hey, if you had a good time, that's a good thing. I've, oh, yeah. This format's a little aggressive, huh? You know, I'm not 100% certain yet, but it is certainly more aggressive than Dominaria, it feels like. It feels like a regular set, yeah. you know, aggressiveness-wise, right? Yeah. Like, it's not hyper-aggro, but you definitely get punished if you don't, like, if you can't keep up to your opponent's curve. Um, I'm learning that 1-3s are kind of the nuts in this format so far, it seems like. Yeah, they seem pretty good, especially, like, I was playing a red-white aggro deck against a red-white aggro deck, and I brought in two of those 1-3 lifelinkers from the sideboard, and it kind of, they just kind of won the matchup for me. Yeah, there's the 1-3 lifelinker, there's the 1-3 in green, there's the omen speaker, um, there's the 0-3 in black, the neonate, there's just a bunch of things that blank x1s uh, specifically two ones um and then obviously you have your shocks and things like that in red so you can basically shut all of those aggressive strategies down with it with the right draw so i think building a curve is probably going to be important um at least it, that's what it seems like so far so it's kind of cool uh three toughness seems to be the way to go um because again three toughness just kind of shuts down everything but that's the same on everything so like i've been really impressed with the uh, the centaur courser so far just a three three for three in green um two three seem to be okay uh they're not the best but they definitely hold their own um and there's kind of a lot of x threes things that you're going to want to block like vine mare uh bristleborn green things like that um there's a four three trample in red there's a lot of things so if you can get to that magic i think three power three toughness you're probably doing pretty well for yourself and holding your own against most decks. So, but anyway, we'll go into a bit more of a deep dive of our impressions there. Um, in the immediate term here, though, we've got a state of the beta uh, out for Arena that we wanted to talk about here quite a bit. So, you mentioned that you didn't get to do your streamer event today, which kind of sucks. There was a patch yesterday that went out that kind of broke a bunch of people's access. So, Everybody should get access back tomorrow, and with tomorrow will be the M19 update. Uh, and there's a lot of new things that are coming here that we're going to need to test, uh, as well as kind of changes changes to the economy um, and a couple of new events we wanted to talk about here. So let's just dive right in. First things up is the uh, the new player experience. So this probably doesn't apply to a lot of people that are listening to the podcast, but given that there's going to be a bunch of invites going out to new players... Uh, people that are already in the beta will be hopefully inviting their friends to come play. People that have never played Magic before or never played Magic Arena are going to enjoy the new player experience, it looks like. It looks like it's a series of maybe tutorials or games against AI in which you're going to be completing objectives, learning how to use the interface, learning how to play Magic. At the end of it, you're going to earn uh, decks, monocolored decks, to build your collection. So this is perfect for a new player. Uh, they're going to ask experienced players to test it out as well. Uh, and then, But yeah, at the end of the day, you're going to learn how to play Magic uh, Arena. And you're going to earn M19 cards, which is pretty great for brand new players kind of right out of the box. At the end of it, you're also going to get a series of quests that they will ask you to complete to earn an additional 10 dual color decks. So this should fall in line with what we got when the NDA was lifted, where we got those 10 kind of pre-constructed decks to start our collection. So it looks like it'll be a very good way for brand new players to get in and start playing right away. Yeah, I think this is something that Magic has needed somewhere for a long time. I had a long chat with some folks today on stream about duels and what duels was trying to accomplish. And duels wasn't a bad game, but the idea was you got people into Magic with that and then funneled them to paper. 
right? So it's kind of like a tutorial to get people to play Paper Magic. Whereas I think Arena is like, hey, if you want to play Paper Magic, you can, but you can also just play this. We're going to give you the full experience. And I think what they've really needed is, is some sort of tutorial. When I'm streaming Arena, I constantly have players come in and start asking questions. And I again, I can tell what games they've played based on the type of questions that they're asking me. Um, you know, why don't you attack their creature with your creature is a big one that just happens all day. And I'm like, this is somebody that's come from Hearthstone because they're used to using creatures as removal spells as opposed to how attacking and blocking works here. They'll ask about why did, why did your creature heal at the end of turn? So like having a tutorial like this where that person can come in, can you imagine how terribly you would get wrecked trying to play magic if you think it functions like Hearthstone? You would never win a game. Yeah, and like it, it could be very frustrating. So just something like this, even if it like, I hope that it's like a match against actual AI and it's sort of interesting because I'm going to play through it and stream it. But even if it's just pre-made scenarios, you know, where you draw the card, it's basically saying, play this card now, do this here. Even if it's just that, that's a, a, a very good step in the right direction for new players. Yeah, thinking back to what was done in duels, I think duels did it very well where it was like a, a bit of a story that you would go through. So your first kind of campaign was always the tutorial and it was usually scripted top decks. So you started with a bunch of stuff in play or you started with a very specific hand and you played things in order. You know, you, you weren't, you weren't allowed to go outside of the box for your first couple of games, but it really taught you the mechanics and it taught you the interface and it taught you how to play while telling you a little bit of a story at the same time. It was pretty cool. I'm expecting this to be something very much like that instead of them spending a bunch of resources and time on developing an AI that plays the game, um, it's much easier just to build a script to follow. So that's kind of what I'm expecting out of it. But if they did come up with a simple AI that plays the game, or who knows, maybe they hired a thousand, you know, <laughs> a thousand summer students to sit there and play games against people in the tutorial. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that is actually a thing that would ever happen, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how new players find the experience and they're looking for feedback on this. This is their first iteration of it. So even if you're a brand new player, you know, maybe give it to, you know, uh, your younger sibling or your significant other or your mom or your dad or something like that and say like, hey, like, do you want to learn how to play magic? Can you sit here and, and play this on my account and see if you can learn? Um, that might be a way to go to, to test it if you can't give valuable feedback on it because you already know how to play the game. Like, I'm going to be bored with it for sure. I'll test it from a testing perspective, but it's not targeted at me. I'll be there getting my free cards and then I'll be done with it. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there that can get a lot of value out of this. And I hope that um, I hope that it works really well for them. Me too. Me too. I'm excited to see this. Yeah. Uh, so next up, the kind of the, the update that I'm looking forward to the most, I think, out of all of this, aside from just playing M19, is the wildcard updates. So for a while... Um, we didn't really know how consistently we were getting wild cards, uh, except from the vault. So we knew that if we opened our packs, you know, it was 30 packs to open the vault or whatever it was. And that was kind of our consistency. We knew that we'd get some wild cards along the way, but I didn't know exactly how many it would take for me to get my place out of a rare land, for example. So they've changed it now. So when you open packs, you don't get vault progress anymore unless you get duplicate cards, which they're working on that change that fix to the uh, the valuation of those duplicate cards is not in this update, but they've removed the vault progress you get from packs, and instead you get a little counter toward your next wild card. And there's a chart on the forum, but basically it starts off as you know your first 
three packs will give you an uncommon wild card. And then your first six packs, counting those first three packs that count toward your uncommon wild card, will give you a rare. And then every sixth pack after that will give you either a rare or a mythic, depending on where in the cycle you are. So the idea is, is that you can see how many packs you need to open to get your next guaranteed wild card of a specific type. At the same time, you're still going to be getting wild cards in the packs, albeit at a slightly reduced frequency, it seems like. But at least you will know that, you know, if I need two more wild cards to finish my deck off, I can I know that I need to buy 12 packs with gold or whatever, or I need to go spend a bunch of gems to get 12 packs. I have that clear definition of what what is needed, which will make people costing out brand new decks and trying to figure out how much it's going to cost them to play the game if they want to build a tier one deck. It'll be much more consistent than it was before. So pretty happy about that in general. Um, and it'd be interesting to see where the vault progress kind of shakes down after that. Yeah, they said in so here that like eventually they're going to do something different about getting a fifth copy. Um, and the exact quote here was, we're still exploring options for what happens when a player opens their fifth copy. We didn't find an answer we liked for this update, so we left things they were until we find something we do like and can remove the vault entirely. So it looks like the vault is going to be a thing of the past over time. I haven't played a lot of Constructed, uh, and I was able to accumulate the decks relatively quickly. So like, this isn't meaning a lot to me right now, but I suspect that it will after we have that reset. And I'm like, okay, I want to play X deck in standard. What do I have to do to get that deck? Right, exactly. So I missed the part of removing the vault entirely, which is interesting to me because I actually liked the concept of the vault. I just didn't like how long it took me to open the vault <laughs> after you open your kind of initial set of packs you got that immediate vault right away and you're like sweet this is awesome and then it takes you unless you buy packs um it takes you weeks and weeks to weeks to get there but for somebody like you that just cares about drafting that's not something for you for somebody like me that i kind of want to do a mix of drafting and constructed i was finding that i was not getting the wild cards basically at any kind of reasonable frequency so i was i'm probably in the middle of the two and it's not targeted to me. It's targeted to people that are playing strictly constructed or people that are, you know, maybe playing strictly draft. Um, but I, I look forward to see what they do with that fifth copy because I've opened a lot of Dominaria packs just from from drafting and, and events and things like that. And uh, it sure does suck to open a pack of entirely gray cards and not get anything for it, essentially. So anyway, we'll we'll see how it goes. The um, overall, I'm I'm pretty up on the uh, on the wildcard updates here, so I look forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah, this looks good to me too. So we also got news of a new event coming out called the Brewers Delight. Now, unfortunately, this doesn't, I think, doesn't think, I don't think it targets us specifically. Well, not definitely not you because you're mostly a drafter, but it definitely doesn't target me. Um, but there are going to be a lot of people out there that I think this will this will kind of lean toward here so so the idea is is that the brewer's delight is a low entry fee low reward event to encourage quote-unquote brewing now it doesn't say that there's anything in here that does matchmaking based on the quality of your deck or anything like that i think that's been implied or maybe suggested by people on reddit or on the forums and things like that there's nothing in here that says that that is the case but what they're looking at doing, and this came, comes from uh, from Lee Sharp's Twitter, is that they're looking at making an environment that doesn't necessarily appeal to spikes because the prize payouts are so low and the entry fee is so low. So the idea is, is that you enter this for 250 gold or 50 gems. You play up to up to your five games. You play three wins, three losses. And then the prizes at the other side are just 
ICRs and they scale up as you go up the chain and wins. But the ICRs come from a curated list of, it looks like 12 cards that you can get. And these 12 cards go in kind of jankier decks. They're not necessarily jankier decks, but like kitchen table style decks. Um, and they're, they're cards that didn't come in those four of kind of awards that we got from Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. So they're, it's almost like magic online treasure chests. If the treasure chests were really, really uh, narrow and focused and pointed toward people that were maybe Timmy's uh, for those that don't know. Timmy is a uh, person that kind of plays the game uh, with janky style decks and they're playing for the love of the game and they might not have a large collection and they're kind of just looking to do big, fun, silly things. Whereas somebody who's a spike, which is the opposite of them is like very competitive, very uh, constructed, focused, serious player that, that tries to maximize their decks. Um, so, so it's kind of neat Hopefully it appeals to some people. I don't, I don't know how successful it will be because it doesn't appeal to me. Um, but there's probably some somebody out there that will enjoy this. And if it does only appeal to those people that are playing these brews, these maybe kitchen tales, kitchen table style uh, games of magic, then hopefully all of these people can find their soulmate on Magic Arena and play games against them exclusively. I, I actually think that there is an audience for this because I'll get people that'll come in e- even while I'm streaming draft. And again haven't played constructed in something like a month, they'll come in and complain about how the standard meta is awful. All I play against is mono red. It's like, well, if, if that's good, that's what a lot of people are going to be playing. So if the, the mono red players are generally staying out of this or the scarab God players, and you can actually build a deck around cats or metalwork Colossus or pirates, then th- this could be a good fun place to play where people feel like they can win a reward and then put it in their their janky deck. So like I, I think there may be an audience for this. I just still wonder what's to keep Spike from being like, I want to go beat up some little kids. But I guess the fact that like Spike is never going to want to spend 250 gold for these rewards. Yeah, and exactly, right? Or maybe they have all these cards already or they don't have a use for the cards at all. Um, I think I think that's where it is. I think if you put it put packs in here or random ICRs that could be anything, you know, even a Teferi, I think then you're going to get people that that want to convert that 250 gold into a spin of the wheel at a Teferi or a Karn or whatever they want in their deck. Right. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I might try it once, but um, I'm going to probably rely on hearing reports from how other people enjoy it. Uh, to make kind of my judgment on it. I don't think I'll play it all that much. Same. The one I am interested in playing a lot, though, here, aside from M19 Draft, is the Best of Three Constructed Ladder. Heck yes. It's been a while. So I really like the Best of Three on Arena. Um, I think it's well done. I don't mind playing the longer games. Best of One Constructed Ladder is fine, but there's a lot of variance in there, and I can't you know, sideboard against control, right? Like I have to pre-sideboard against control. I have to pre-sideboard against mono red and things like that. I would much rather play a 75 card deck, you know, 60 plus your sideboard and have more interesting games of magic against control or against mono red and things like that post sideboard. And, but I can do that now if I want to pay my gold to do that, which is fine unless I want to save my gold to to draft with, right? Which you do. And because of, which I do. So because I want to do that, I'm stuck playing this best of one and I, I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm a gold two player. It's a lot of fun. It's just, sometimes it can be frustrated when you go on a losing streak and you're like, I can't do anything about this. I'm just not having a good day of magic. Best of three kind of mitigates that. And I'm really looking forward to playing that in the ladder. Yeah. I'm glad that they've implemented this. Yeah. 
So really looking forward to that one. And then also looking forward to on the 20th. So this is kind of the day that they've said will be the large invite wave is going out. It sounds like everybody that's in the game or most people that are in the game are going to get a bunch of codes to invite their friends. That's great. They're looking to basically do another stress test of the system. And on top of that, they're giving us the kind of incentive to play of half price M19 quick drafts which has got to be infinite value, basically, uh, as far as Magic Arena is concerned. So I'm really looking forward to playing that. Absolutely. That looks good. Um, unfortunately, I will be out on vacation while that's happening, so I'm not going to get to jump in and play that one. Uh, but just looking at the draft schedule as well is something that I'm excited about. Uh, Quick Draft is going through Aether Revolt, Hour of Devastation again, which I love, then into M19, uh, Dominaria again, and then it looks like they're actually doing Triple Amonkhet, which is interesting. Like, they'd, they'd never done that before here, and every time I was drafting Hour of Devastation, I'd have people ask about it. Um, a, a lot of them were people that were interested in getting the lands for Constructed, uh, getting the, you know, copies of the cycling lands. They were like, I, I wish they'd do these formats so that I could collect these lands or just play it. Uh, there were some people that preferred Triple Amonkhet. They're monsters, but some people preferred that to Hour of Devastation. So I think it's kind of neat that they're bringing that back too. Actually, there's also a free quick constructed event too. A no entry fee up to seven win or one loss that will give you ICRs or booster packs depending on how well you do. Yeah, that's a bad day for me to be on vacation, huh? It's a Yeah, it's a bad day for you. It's I'm working that day, so it's a bad day for me too. But something for everybody that day, as well as just being able to invite your friends. So if you don't have a, a beta code yet, find a friend. <laughs> and if and if you don't have a friend, I will be your friend for a day. Hit me up on Twitter or whatever, and you can have one of my codes. Uh, and then other cool things that I saw in here, PayPal. That's big for a lot of people. It's big, for, big me. for me. But it, big for you, big for a lot of people. Um we knew it was coming. We just didn't know when. So it's pretty, pretty happy for you and for anybody else that wants to be able to spend money on, on the game. It's, it's all upside for wizards, right? Like if, if they make it easier for you to spend money, the general you, they will just make more money in general. So I pretty happy about that, obviously. Me too. And then I saw here too, that, uh, given what had happened with people being locked out of arena, uh, and, and kind of the shenanigans around this, that they're giving all players 5,000 gold, and if you were locked out of a game and unable to unfinish it, they're going to refund your entry fees. So I had some folks on stream today, like I was able to get in and play a little bit of arena today while I was doing these M19 drafts. But there was one guy, uh, Pod God, who's always in there and just a super cool dude in chat. And he was like, I had four wins in a draft deck. That kind of sucks that I, I lose that experience and my entry fee. Well, they're going to refund that and basically give you another free draft to make up for it. Uh and given that it's in the beta, I, I'm not too upset about this. They were trying to do something very ambitious, which was roll out an update with zero downtime. Like, if that's something they can get right in the future, that's fantastic. Can you imagine, like, all all the Wednesdays where I've streamed other games because Magic Online was in downtime? Never having to do that. Just stream right into the new event and the new build. That's That's fantastic. So some hiccups here and there, especially if they're going to be like, you know, sorry, we burned down your village. Here's some gold. I'm happy. Yeah. The only downside that I've seen in this update is that uh, there's no M19 quick draft for a couple of weeks, or I guess the 20th, the one day we'll get it, but we won't get it uh, for another week after that. So 
it'll be Magic Online for me, which is good. I enjoy Magic Online. I'm one of the few that can enjoy both. Um, but uh, I've been saving my gold for uh, for a while to do these M19 quick drafts, so I just have to wait a couple of weeks longer, it looks like. Yeah, uh, and you know, I, I think right now they're not necessarily focused on having the hottest and newest draft format here. Like for a lot of the people that are migrating, you know, from other card games to Arena, drafting anything is a new experience for them. A lot of people that have come back to the game have never seen Aether Revolt and Kaladesh. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to kind of go through and show them how to draft those. And I've been having fun with it. And I, I did enjoy playing Magic Online today. It feels clunky going back to it after being on Arena. Uh, but it's still like the best way to recreate the paper, paper experience entirely. You know, it's it's funny because I thought I would think that it felt clunky. And I thought that I would not like it compared to Arena. But I like it for a lot of different reasons. And I didn't find it felt clunky at all. I found that like a lot of like the like the stops are smooth, the yielding is smooth. The I mean, time drafts, you know, I wish we didn't have time drafts because I'd like to be able to think about my picks or talk to chat about my picks or whatever. I think that is probably the one thing that I like about Arena instead um compared to magic online but i really enjoyed my magic online experience um and i'd like them for different reasons we've said this before magic arena feels like a video game to me and it feels like i take it a little less seriously specifically when i'm playing constructed because there's nothing on the line but when i sat down on magic online for the first time the other day i was sweating out my third win on my sealed pool to make sure that i could get 120 play points back so i could do a draft with that um, but on arena, I don't feel that sweat nearly as much. And maybe that's cause I know that like it's going to wipe and maybe that it, I know that those gems that I've earned in my account, like the $50 worth of gems that are there, I didn't put a dollar in for. So like I'm playing on free money, so who cares? Um, but, uh, but I definitely noted, noticed a competitive difference in myself between the two. And I really like that. I really like taking one seriously and taking one maybe just a tiny little bit less seriously. Um, and, and that's where I'm at on that one. So I, I enjoy them for different reasons, but I'm glad we have them both. And honestly, I don't know if there should be a reason why we don't have M19 on arena. Like you've speculated this because they don't have draft bot data to, you know, to seed with, but I don't, I remember the dark days of, magic online and not being able to draft the new set for two weeks and it's like this sucks you're in this lame duck period where you don't want to play the old set because you've drafted it a million times and you can't draft the new set because it's not there yet you can't even play constructed yet it's like why even stream why even play magic at that time and i remember i used to just not do anything for those two weeks i didn't play magic i didn't play anything on my stream or anything like that and it sucked so i don't know why we need to wait two weeks for quick draft. I don't think that's something that we should do. Maybe a couple of days if you need to get draft data, but like there was 3000 people in the draft pool last night when I log on, like you've got enough data there. If that's what you're waiting for. You got to cut them a little slack though, Dave, like to be fair, you can play constructed tomorrow with M19 cards. You don't have to wait any time. Full standard is up and ready to go. That's not what we used to have Mm -hmm. on magic online. And I've got draft formats that I'm interested in. So like, I will stop whatever I'm doing to go draft Hour of Devastation. Like, I get a phone call that the neighbor has a box and they're ready to go. I'm going. Like, that format's great. So We didn't always have that. And then Dominaria, to be fair, I still haven't quite gotten my fill of that. I think I could draft that for a couple more weeks and be pretty happy. 
Like that was just a, a really well made set. Um, so I mean, like add all that together and the fact that we're in beta, like I imagine that there will come a day where they don't need draft data because we're drafting against other players and we can have the, you know, hopefully fixed prized payout competitive constructed, you know, the same day as, as magic online. Yes. We just don't have it now. So yeah, I am disappointed and I think I'm allowed to be disappointed with that one. That's fair. That's fair. All right. They did the same thing with Dominaria, though. It took a while for us to get Dominaria drafts in here. And I remember us talking about that then. So, like, it's it's not surprising to me that it's taking a little while. Yeah, that's fair. I was just hoping that it would have been turned around. Like I said, I've got 20,000 gold sitting there waiting for, for drafts. And I've got $50 worth of gems just sitting there waiting for M19 drafts. Let's go. <laughs> You're going to have a good week, uh, in, July 26th. Yeah. Into my veins. Let's go. All right. So all of that being said, let's talk about M19 because I think it would be a disservice to not talk about M19 now that we've had a little bit of time to uh, to draft it, play some sealed. So you've done what, like seven events? Seven events, yes. All right. So I've done about I've done three and a half events. So between us, we don't have a ton of experience <laughs> compared to compared to some people that grind this all day every day. Um, but I think we can probably just talk about some of our initial impressions, some of the things that maybe we're wrong about, some of the things maybe we're right about, maybe some cool cards, cool combos you've come across here, um, and we can uh, maybe revisit some of the conversation we had last week about archetypes and uh, and removal as well. So I want to start with my pre-release experience. Um, you know, like, like I said at the opening of the episode, uh, we had a lot of fun. Our, our pool was kind of neat in that we had uh, two of the resplendent angels and three of the sigiled swords we ended up building a uh, black white obviously life gain deck and tried to do our best there and then we built a kind of a blue green pseudo control kind of pseudo hold down the ground game uh hopefully to make infinite angels on the other side of the table um you know it's two at a giant so obviously you're you know our mileage will be different than somebody else's but um the black white archetype played really well as long as you had the support for it. Um, and the Sigil Sword was interesting to me. There were times where it was very, very good, and if you were winning, it just kind of crushed the game. If you were behind or you weren't able to attack, it was just a very, very poor magic card, and I would have much rather it had been anything else, I think, a 3-3 or a removal spell or anything. Um, so i'm wondering because i think you've you've had a chance to play with it already and and i'm wondering if you had the same experience with that so i I think what you're experiencing there is having two opponents worth of blockers making the card Mm -hmm. bad i that card single-handedly beat me i have not had the opportunity to play with it i've played against it a lot once i was lucky enough to have the main deck to naturalize you should be main decking naturalize by the by uh, so it didn't kill me. The other time, they just equipped it on a bad creature attacked in. I was able to trade for it, but it didn't matter. They had a knight to suit back up. And now that's coming in. And it made another knight. Like, it reminds me of Sword of Body and Mind, which was frustrating in Cube because it, it only needed to connect a few times to kill you. But even even in situations where I had a way that they weren't going to mill me out, aka I was playing an Eldrazi deck they would still just get infinite value off of making wolves after connecting over and over. And it's not quite that bad. It doesn't have protection. It's not milling you. But it it reminds me a lot of the power level of those swords. Uh, I would first pick that card, and I would play it in every deck. 
Yeah. Um. Ab- absolutely, I agree with you on that one. Um. I found it like, if if you were behind, even even in just in in a in a heads up in a one on one match, if you were behind enough that the token didn't mean anything, like your opponent could chump the token or not chump the token, but like blank the token. They had a three three on their side of the table. Then it kind of became a useless card. Um. It does. If you're slight, like at parity or pretty close, you can try to push ahead there. Um, and then obviously, if you're ahead, you kind of just stay ahead. Have you had the pleasure of playing against Tezzeret? I have not played. I, uh, the only Planeswalker I've seen so far is Sarkin. Okay, so it's very, it felt very similar to Tezzeret in that regard, where if if you stuck a Tezzeret, so I had a Tezzeret in my sealed pool. If I was able to stick a Tezzeret and make a token and then not take any damage on Tezzeret while throwing away the token. So maybe they had, uh, you know, a flyer and a 2-2 on the ground, and I was able to hold back the 2-2 and chump the flyer. You know, obviously Tezzeret gets out of control, right? And then if you're if you're ahead and you're on the Tezzeret side, like even just a little bit, and you don't have to throw away that flyer, now all of a sudden, you know, obviously you're making a flyer every single turn potentially, um, and you're starting to get that incremental advantage. That's what the sword was as well. So it's, you know, it's almost like having a little mini Planeswalker in play as long as you have instead of a way to defend it, I think what you're looking for is a way to just be able to press that advantage and get that first 2-2 and then get another 2-2 and then get another one on top of that. And pretty soon you're wide enough that your opponent can't deal with anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's the idea behind the sword. So yeah, it's a great card. Very it's strong a great card. Um, card I was right about. And I have to, I have to, I don't think it was like, I think, yeah, of, of course, like uh, it's just obvious when we talked about it, but the, uh, what was it? The blue green uncommon, the sky patrol. Yeah. How about that? That card's good. It's, it's great. <laughs> I, I think it's not as good on the splash as I was hoping it would be. Um, but if you're blue green, it's nutty. And the reason is, is because I think you want to make sure you get one activation off of it. Um, so it's definitely a late game card. I play it, I will play it earlier than a late game card. So like if I have other cards in my hand, I will play it if I have the ability to activate it the same turn. Like so my opponent's tapped out, I'm guaranteed to, guaranteed to get one plus one plus one counter and some damage off of it. And then I'm okay if it gets lightning strike, you know, the next turn. Um, I've played it on the splash twice, once in sealed and once in draft. And it was good when I had it. It was, it was great. Um, but not having that guaranteed initial activation kind of made it feel like it was really risky to play. Um, so I, I often held it a little bit longer than I might have normally just to make sure that my opponent was out of removal or that um, I had a really good window to try to force them to deal with it. And if they couldn't, I could get really good value off of it. So it kind of changed the way that I played the game. But in just a straight up blue green deck, it's it's the nutters. It's crazy how good it is. I had that in the two at a giant as well. Yeah, it's it's a really powerful card. Yeah. Um, do you have any cards that you were specifically right or maybe even wrong about, do you think? I was curious how good Chaos Wand was going to be. And I had the opportunity to play with it in two drafts so far. I should probably mention that I'm 12 and 3 in draft uh, results. Oh, so you know what you're doing. No, no one knows what they're doing. This is a brand new format. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but I have some thoughts about the format that I'd like to share when we get to like a wrap-up area. But uh, Chaos Wand is actually pretty dang good. Uh, it's a mana sink, which I'm interested in. Um, there was a, a scenario today where I figured out that my opponent's deck was mostly counter spells and was then using the Chaos Wand to counter all of their spells and kind of locked them out of playing creatures. 
uh, won that game handily. There was another one where I just spun it three times and hit a bunch of removal spells, murdered my opponent's board, uh, and then then killed them. So, like, I think that card may actually be pretty good. Yeah, I think... I, I played it in a, in a controlling deck and in an aggro deck, and it was good in both of them. So the the thing you got to think about when you're playing Chaos Wand is what instants and sorceries are just played in general, right? So, like, they fall into a three or four categories. You've got your combat tricks, which they're fine off a wand. You're getting them out of your opponent's deck. You might not be able to use them, but, you know, you'll get them out of your opponent's deck. You can use Removal, them to force damage, which I did with the aggro deck. It kind of depends on if you're using the wand proactively or not, right? And this is kind of my next point about the wand is when do you use it? There's a bunch of different positions in the game to use it. But So your opponent has either combat tricks or removal, or they have counter spells, or they have utility spells. And really, the only utility spells in this format are, like, naturalize, right? Like, there's really not much else that you're looking at, like invoke the divine. There's not much There's not much else there, for instance, in sorceries that you're looking at. Blue has the a couple of bounce spells as well. I probably put those in the in the combat trick category. But, you know, you can generally assume what your opponent's playing based on their colors. So if your opponent's playing green-white, you're probably going to hit removal and tricks. If your opponent's playing, you know, blue-black, you're probably going to hit counter spells and removal. So you can kind of figure out from there where you should be using your chaos wand. Do I use it in response to a creature coming into play? Do I wait for that creature to resolve and then use it? Right. You kind of have to play this interesting game of what's in my opponent's deck. And I love that little counterplay. I love that thinking about where am I going to use this to get maximum benefit from it. And then once you've seen the entire deck and you're in game two or halfway through game one or whatever, and you know what's left in there, if anything at all, you can start to make more educated decisions. So it really rewards the people that are paying attention to that kind of information. And I think that's a really cool way to play the game. So I look forward to drafting that. It was really neat to see yourself and I've seen other people play it too and where they made those decisions to use it and right or wrong. Like you don't know if you're right or wrong until after you've done it. Um, but it was really cool to see what their reasoning was for, for all of their decisions. So I think it's a very, very interesting card. I think it's a feel bad card for the people that are getting hit by it. Yeah, it is. Because you're like, I put all this effort in drafting this sweet deck. I've got, you know, four murders in here and my opponent's not going to win. And then they stick chaos wand and it's like, do I side out my murders? Yeah. (laughs) Like, what do I, what do I do here? Um, And of course the answer is no. Like you just have to hope that they don't draw their chaos wand, but it's just like, it's an interesting equalizer in that you drafted maybe an average deck and your opponent drafted a deck that was better than yours. And you're like, I got you. Now I'm using your cards and uh, and you don't get any of my cards. So now I have an above average deck and an average deck and you're just playing creatures and it's great. Yeah, I was overall very happy with that card. Okay. Anything else? Did you get a chance to play with heroic reinforcements or anything like that? I had a red-white deck that had heroic reinforcements in it, but I never drew it and had the opportunity to cast it. Unfortunately, they were way dead before that came up. Uh, This deck also had three of the uh, angel that pumps your team. And I think six two drops and a bunch of threes. So like, if I'd ever drawn it, it would have been great, but they were were dead way before that mattered. Mm -hmm. So you're in on the two drops? Oh, yeah. Which, now, there's a lot of kind of rumbling out there that the two ones are very bad. Which two drops are you interested in mostly, then? Uh, If you're playing red-white, they're not bad. I had uh, six two drops. I had a pair of the knights that give things plus two, plus oh, and first strike. 
I had a pair of Oresco Swift Claw, and I had a pair of the Viachino, uh that deals two damage to them. So, like, okay. t- the typ- typically what happened with those was I would play them and get in one hit, and then they'd play to one three. And then they'd sit there for a couple turns until I hit an angel, and then they'd end up trading for something much bigger while the one three chump blocked a three three that turned into a four four. And then shortly after that, they were dead. What I was right. waiting for that entire draft was a Pegasus Courser, and I never saw one because uh, I was like, well, they're going to get blanked on the ground, but no problem, we'll fly over. It ended up, again, not really mattering just because I, I basically every game had a two drop and it connected at least once. There was one game where I went uh, Swift Claw into Luxodon into Swift Claw via Shino Guy and just they just scooped like because they were just playing lands and doing nothing. And like when I resolved the the pair of two drops on on turn four, they just picked up their cards. Yeah. Okay. The Swift Claw looks surprisingly good. I think not like above good. You know what I mean? Like it's not above average, but it's surprisingly good compared to formats previous, right? If you remember back to what was it? Uh, Ixalan block was it in? No, there was a different. The Raptors Companion was in Ixalan block, but it was secretly um, pretty good there. It was, but sometimes you just ended up running it into enraged in creatures, right? So, like, you had a little bit of a downside there, and there were, uh, you know, one ones you were okay trading away with or things like that. But in this format, it seems like, you know, it trades with a little bit more stuff. It trades up quite nicely, and there's not a lot of X1 hate that isn't stapled to a 1-3 body already. And I think that's the key difference. I, I think there's also a secret that people are not necessarily willing to pick up on. We've seen Devil Thorn Fox. We've seen Raptor's Companion. We've seen Oresco Swift Claw in Theros. Three ones for two are actually pretty good. The main reason why is sometimes you're on the play, they don't have a two or a three drop, and they just took, you know, six or nine damage from the darn thing. The game is so close to closed out by then that if you've had any sort of reasonable start, you're you're going to get them. So like all of the formats where there have been three ones for two, I've typically preferred that as my two drop. Again, just because sometimes people stumble. So mm-hmm. I, I think the Swift Claw is fl- fine. And like the Knight of Numenalia, like we just had that in Dominaria and it was pretty good. You could draft that in a Pegasus Courser and get them. Like every time there have been three ones, I've played them and I've been pretty happy with them. I think that's also just because that's what you get in white. Yeah. You get three ones, right? You get three ones for two. That's just the vanilla thing that you get. Um, so are you on team three, one for two, two, two for two or one, three for two? Cause you can pretty much have your, your pick of any of those if you want. Well, it takes 20 hits from a one, three to kill my opponent. So I think mm-hmm. I'd rather have the three, one, but I'll play whatever. Okay. Right. I'm honestly on team one, three. And I, I think the one threes in this format are pretty good. You're scared of my two and ones. Well, I'm, I I mean, they also just block two ones for days, but I've been quite happy just blocking on turn two and turn three or turn three and turn four instead of attacking on turn three and turn four. Um, the the Pegasus Courser being in the format is interesting because it obviously does make that aggressive strategy a little less risky, right? It's, it's like you're hedging your bets. It's like, well, maybe I'll get shut down on the ground, but I got Mr. Pegasus Courser to get me over the top here. But um, I think I'm on team one three because you've got Omen Speaker, you've got the Life Linker, which bring it out of the sideboard against aggressive decks, obviously. And then you've got the dryad in green, which I think that guy's just might stupid. Secret, 
it's it's secretly like one of the best cards in the one of the best creatures in the format i think um my favorite thing to do with that and i did it at the pre-release is play it plus the gin of wishes you 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 look at the top card and obviously if it's a land you put it in your hand and then you can decide if you want to cast that spell for free when it's on top <laughs> because of the gym so what i would often do is it's like well I don't know what I want to do, so we'll spin the wheel and see what's on top instead of just blind guessing with the gin. And then you never got hit with the, uh, well, I hit a land, I better play my land off the top. It was always action, um, which was really good because it was also scary to my opponents. I got to bluff, and it was the greatest feeling ever. I got to bluff uh, a naturalize off of it when my opponents went, put the plus the plus seven, plus seven on, and I did it, it was on the Hexproof uh, horse thing. Fine so there. it was like a 1210 horse, which was stupid. Don't get me started on that one. And I stopped them before combat to spin the to spin the gin to see what was on top. So I looked at the top card with the Dryad, looked at it. It was a land, and I put it back. And then I quickly said, okay, go to combat. And then he leaned over to his buddy and whispered, I think he's got a naturalize on top. And we had enough blockers to block it on the ground and kill it if he didn't have the the enchantment on it. And they didn't attack. <laughs> You're a monster, Dave. <laughs> and then I ripped the land and then eventually got there with the naturalize at some point. But it was it was great because you don't have to take it if it's a land, right? You may reveal it and put it into your hand. So it was uh, it, it made me feel real good. And it's probably the only bluff that I'll get to make in this format. That was a good one. That was a good one. I like it. So... There's a bunch of neat little combos in this format. Um, what did I draft the other day that I haven't got to play with? Oh, I drafted the um, the the Goblin Lord, and I'm trash looking master. forward. So, <laughs> trash master. I got him and like triple Boggart Brute, like basically one after the other after the other, all in the same pack. So I think I did the right thing. Um, it's got about seven goblins. I haven't played any games with it yet, but I'm really crossing my fingers that uh, that red green aggro is a thing with the uh, with the trash master. So yeah, I had a. I, actually, I think the three O today was with the red green deck. Uh, it was a little more ramp focused than aggro focused, but I was very happy with it. Do you know what feels bad in this format? What feels bad in this format? Palaka worm at rare. Because I never get to. I drafted it the other day and I never got to cast it. Yeah. We've yeah. got some pretty good commons and uncommons, though. No, we do, and like it would—it's definitely oppressive at rare. I wish there were at me at uncommon. I wish there was something between uncommon and rare, <laughs> like maybe just maybe just for me. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, hey, David, here we see you drafting. Here's a Palaka worm that you can play. Um, but no, what really feels bad is having a ramp deck that your only payoff is like a big creature. I think mana sinks. If you can get them in this format, they feel real good. Yeah. And you see them in a bunch of different colors. The the blue one that draws cards, the blue one that's unblockable, the suspicious bookcase, the totally normal bookcase. Yep. Nothing to see um, here. Unblockable. No, absolutely nothing to see here. Oh, another pre-release story. <laughs> God, I love I love pre-releases. So I played the totally suspicious bookcase, and my opponent looked at it and obviously didn't know what it was. And he said, oh, what's that? And I said, don't worry about it. It's just the bookcase. <laughs> and he didn't. He just carried on with the rest of the game. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was just a normal bookcase. And then I had to correct him at some point where, like, um, 
I, I think like two or three turns later, he was just playing on there. And I'm like, I should probably tell you now that I have the mana and creatures on the board to actually do this is that I can actually give something unblockable with it. And he like turned the card around and looked at it and he says, oh, yeah, that's neat. And then like turned it back. <laughs> I was like, that's maybe I should have told him that up front, but I'm not going to I'm not going to try to like angle shoot my way to a victory there. But I had to pull the, the joke off at least once. Right. Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. So, um, but I, anyway, like I, I do want to jump in on the ramp deck, and I, yes. I think this is probably the right point for me to say uh, some some thoughts about this format because I built a ramp deck today. It was actually really good. We three would with it, and I was mostly ramping to Colossal Dreadmaws. But he, here's my overall thought about this format, and then why this is really cool when I'm building that ramp deck. This is Ixalan gameplay but the draft isn't on rails. So Ixalan was all about playing your creatures, playing your combat tricks. There was an enchantment sub-theme, but once you were five picks into the draft, there was nothing interesting that happened anymore. You, you got past the pack, you're like, well, I'm in Vampire, so I'll take the Vampire card, or I'm in Pirate, so I'll take the Pirate card. In this case, I was drafting a ramp deck, and I knew that I needed some card draw, and I found it in the case of some Gravediggers which I could fit in and splash off of the two duels I'd taken and the Gifts of Paradise I'd picked up. So if I didn't hit my three Colossal Dreadmaws, or I did and somebody answered them, I actually ended up playing the Rocks guy that draws a card just because he kind of cycles through and finds me something, and I played a Gravedigger, and that was enough to save me from the ramp into nothing problem. Um, so like, I, I, I think if you enjoyed the gameplay of Ixalan, and, and I did. There was nothing wrong with that. My problem with that format was never the gameplay. It was that drafting got boring after five picks. Here, it, it feels like I'm playing a very similar format as far as pacing and kind of what I can do. The synergies are also relatively minor. And despite that being a tribal set, the synergies were relatively minor. So it, it kind of feels similar to that to me. But like even in pack three, you never know what you could open. And those those lands in place of the land slot just leave you open to do some potentially interesting things with your mana. So like overall, I think we've got a good one on our hands. It, it's not going to go down as anybody's favorite draft format, but it's going to be fun to play until we get to Ravnica. And I think it's a great place to introduce new people to drafting. So like, what do you think of that? Do you think this is Ixalan gameplay, but without Ixalan draft? I think it's bread and butter gameplay. So if that's what Ixalan was, then I, I agree entirely. Um, I didn't draft a ton of Ixalan to kind of have the same opinion as you, I think. But I definitely agree with you on the drafting portion of it is that Ixalan was on rails and this is certainly not. So this is Corset gameplay, right? It's like it's standard, you know, not standard constructed, but standard drafting complexity as opposed to advanced drafting or playing complexity because there's no new mechanics in this set right yeah and they used to do that so for it, core sets or at least have a returning right. one but they kind of didn't here yeah there's there's not much here so you're ending up playing you know throwing creatures at each other which is just basic straight up magic right um you're, you're playing straight you're playing your tricks you're playing essentially with your hand face up a lot of the time um i feel like and, my opponents so, are sometimes it, I've, I've read my opponent's hand a, a few times already on stream and it I mean you know it's it's not because this format is easy to understand or my opponent's doing anything wrong it's just that you know it's just a common format right it's just like oh my opponent probably has titanic growth here because 
that's just what you have in a set like this. You just have a combat trick. It doesn't matter that it's Titanic Growth or something else. It's just a combat trick, and I know exactly what's going on here. And the kind of the creatures, the size of the creatures, and the way the combat is kind of structured in this format just plays well into things like that. So, um, and a lot of the, you know, some of the good in certain colors uh, removal is sorcery speed. So you just know that you're safe to do things against black green, for example, a lot of the time, right? Um, you know, so it's it's just... It's straightforward gameplay, but it's still magic gameplay. It's just different than Dominaria. It's different than Hour of Devastation. I think the edges that a good player can get are probably a lot smaller in this format than a format like Dominaria. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the in case game at play. all. In gameplay. In yeah, gameplay. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. You here. don't think so? No. I, mm-hmm. I think that their interest level in it may be different. But I, I think that we've got a good mix of combat tricks and instant speed removal, which is going to give you those edges. Like, here's the thing. I've two-for-one my opponent so many times in Dominaria, and it didn't matter. Like, it just didn't matter, because then they play a bomb, and the game's functionally over. Whereas if you two-for-one somebody in this core set, like, it, it feels like it actually matters. Like, if you go through most decks, there's one or two bombs in them. Whereas the Dominaria deck probably had five. At least I, I felt that way. So I, I feel like the opportunity is still there to get a two-for-one when they go for a combat trick or go to put an enchantment on something. And the instant speed removal, while you know certainly not Doomblade and Lightning Bolt, like Electricity, sh- Electricery, sh- sh- Electrify, that's the card I'm trying to say. Um, you know, we've got Murder. Uh, we've got enough removal spells at instant speed that we can still punish those combat tricks. Even the bounce spell is is fine, uh, so I, I think the edges are certainly there if you're willing to look for them. And I don't disagree, but I think that I think it's easier for your average player to get those two for ones in this format compared to a, a dom. Well, maybe they're easier in Dominaria, but they didn't matter as much in Dominaria. So I think where your edges were in Dominaria were knowing which threats were important and which pieces you needed to remove from your opponent's board to make the game swing in your favor how do you set up lines that you're going to win two three four turns down the road by getting value off your tatiova or you know or your soul salvage or something like that whereas i think in this format i think it's the lines of gameplay are probably a little more clear okay for a lot of players and and so your 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 edges are harder to achieve because the gameplay is more straightforward right and and I think a Dominaria, like knowing what your bombs were, holding your bombs back, or playing to your outs in your deck was a little more important in this format. But this I'm early in this format too, right? But it definitely does feel like a core set and definitely feels like I don't want to say that the gameplay is on rails, but it is a very much a bread and butter gameplay experience, I think. Yeah, and I I feel like as you mentioned there, you're probably right, by the way. But I feel like as you mentioned that you're not very deep into this. No one is very deep into this. We've been drafting this for a week. I always do this warning because I'll have people come in and say, such and such professional magic player said that card you're playing is garbage. Or such and such professional magic player said that card that you cut is your 23rd card is amazing. No one knows what they're talking about yet. We haven't, we simply haven't had our hands on the set long enough. And there are some sets where people still disagree to this day about what was good in them. Uh, Tommy Tuovinen, frequent guest of the podcast. If you ever try to tell him that Triple M and Ket was an aggro format, man, is he going to give you an earful. 
Uh, now, he prioritized Dune Beetle and thought it was one of the best cards in the set. The guy's a monster. But there's still people that disagree about things as fundamental as that. So any advice that you're taking, including ours and everyone else's, use that to build your own picture of a format. Then play and experience the format and make decisions based off of that. Don't take anything that anyone says as gospel. Take it as more of a data point. And then kind of save that, compare it to the data points from other people and to your own experiences. And then you can get better at a draft format uh, and be able to consistently to one like I do. There you go. I also consistently to one. Yeah, I was happy to have two wins, but like a string of two ones, I guess it's fine. Like I'm still mostly positive, but it's, it's nice to get that win. And you're right. It does feel a little better to get that win on Magic Online. Yeah, I mean, it does. Like I said, especially for me. Um, I like, I, like I said, I like having skin in the game. I always say this, but, um, there's something to be said for just winning enough when you go three Oh, to be able to draft twice. And I think you've said that before in regards to competitive drafting. So anything else to talk about in the format here, or should we just wrap it up? I think that's got me covered for this week. Okay. Yeah, me too. So, um, newsflash for those frequent listeners of the podcast, we are not doing a podcast next week. Uh, Travis is out of town and uh, I haven't been able to wrangle up a guest, but I should also probably do some work on my own next week. So we're going to skip next week on the podcast. We're going to come back the week after probably with some arena uh, M19 experiences as well. Um, And we'll figure out a topic. Maybe we'll do a deep dive on something next week. So if you have any ideas, feel free to hit us up on the men from moto Twitter. Uh, Once again, Thanks for listening, and thanks to Face to Face Games for the support and the host. Travis, where can they catch you streaming for the rest of the week? Uh, You can catch me through the rest of this week at twitch.tv slash simulan. I'm also on Twitter under the same name. And I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. And I'm at Twitter under the same. Once again, you can catch us on the Men for Moto Twitter. That's at Men for Moto. You can also catch us on the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Men for Moto. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Adios.